Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. I'm your host, as always, Mike Murray. Today, I'm thrilled to have uh, my friend. We, we came up in the business together. Uh, we're East Coast boys. And uh, I'm thrilled to introduce everybody to the assistant coach at Penn State University, Matt Hurst. Matt, how are you? Mike, I'm, I'm great. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, I like how you threw in there that we came up together. You know, I, I was saying to Mike ahead of time that I got uh, my, my little graphics is one of the young coaches in the NCA, which I appreciate. So that also means, Mike, you are one of the young. We're young, buddy. We're still young. We got to stay young. Every time, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of the different things that I do, whether it's with ASCA or, you know, just traveling when we're at nationals, a lot of the older coaches say, it's great to see this young generation. So I'm trying to stay yeah, in man. that mindset, you know? For sure. No, we're only as old as we feel we are, right? Which means I'm about 12 or 13. So a little older than that. But. Well, listen, Matt, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today is you have a really unique approach to high performance training and you call it a holistic approach. So let's break that down. What do you mean when you say a holistic approach to high performance? Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate the fact that you say it's unique. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's definitely becoming a little bit more prevalent. I think our generation of coaches, um, for a variety of reasons, has been able to, to take a step back and and uh, kind of evaluate the way we were brought up through the sport. And I, I, I in having conversations with folks like yourself and, again, other people of, of our age bracket, um, I think we've done a good job of being historians of the sport and understanding who came before us. And, you know, we know not all the names, but we know some of the names from the sixties and seventies, eighties, and, and have kind of brought that into how we apply things. Um, so for me, I, I put that in addition to, I've got a, a master's degree in human performance um, and exercise science. So the holistic approach really began when I was pretty much fresh out of college and doing my master's degree at Southern Connecticut and I had a professor, her name was Joan Finn, and she was my ex-phys professor. And I think one of the most profound statements I ever got in my, in my degree was Dr. Finn said, you always have to keep the head attached. So you can understand all the physiology in the world you want, but humans are not robots and we don't exist in a lab setting. So you always have to keep the head attached. So as I was going through my master's program, I was coaching with the Sunoco Swim Club at the time. I was coaching with Southern Connecticut State, and I had the benefit of, of Tim Quill, the head coach there, really giving me a lot of free reign and autonomy to start to explore. So I started off with Dr. Finn's words, if you got to keep the head attached. So I'd take the physiology that you know we, we all know and, and read up on, and um, but then put the human element on top of that. So fast forward now, almost... 15, yeah, well, 15 years later, um, we're taking a look at, at everything that goes into training. Obviously, what we do in the water is important, but if you look at a week and on the NCA level, we've got 20 hours a week that we can be with the athletes. There's 128 hours in a week, so we're with them for about 15, 20% of the time. The other 80% of the time, we're not with them. Um, and, and I'll, you know, I'll say that historically, again, 80s, 90s, maybe before, the focus was in what you're doing in the water. That was, that was paramount. Just go, 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 go. And that, that system absolutely works. Um, but, but 
now, you know, my approach kind of is let's take care of the 80, the other 80%, right? Cause the 80 dictates the 20 in this case. So let's take a look at what's going on outside of the pool so that when they do come to us, they're a little bit more refreshed, a little bit more receptive, a little bit more uh, ready mentally, emotionally, and then obviously physically to do what we're asking of them. Um, and that's been even more necessary this year in a COVID year, because, you know, I, I don't know what all everybody is going through, but I know we're all looking at different pool times than we're used to. Some people have no pool. And for us, we, we would normally do nine workouts a week. Uh, we're in the water six times a week. We're not doing doubles right now. So when we do have the athletes, giving them the opportunity to be as focused and stress-free as possible so that they can make the most out of their opportunity, whatever it is, that's, that's kind of where we're coming from in terms of that holistic approach. I, I really like it. And, and it echoes a lot of what some of the other guests on Coach's Corner this year have. We just had Bobby Gentura last week yep. and he was mentioning a lot of the same things, you know, keeping these kids engaged, making sure that they're having fun. And what's interesting, Matt, is when you and I were coming up, you were at Sunoco. I was at Marist Swim Club at the time and, and coaching at Marist College and Larry Van Wagner, God bless him. He retired today. <laughs> Uh, oh, he did? He retired today. It's oh, official. good for Larry. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you were working with Bill Ball and, and Tim Quill, and I was working yep. for Larry. And traditionally, those programs were, were high-volume programs. Yep. And traditionally, Coach Murphy, uh, the head coach at Penn State, has had a, a high-volume background, and a lot of his most successful athletes have been in the, in the longer category. So how have you kind of developed your approach inside of working for some of these titans? Yeah. These Titans in our industry. <laughs> uh, that, that's a good question. I, I think, well, number one, the way I've been able to do it is because they've allowed me the flexibility to do it. Um, now, that's not to say that they just let me run amok. You know, like uh, this wasn't like Max and where the wild things roam. I wasn't running a rumpus up and down all over the place. And some of it, um, you know, my first couple of years here in State College with, with Tim Murphy, we had some very long whiteboard sessions between the two of us where he's coming at it, like you said, from more of that, uh, more of the volume, yardage volume end, and I'm coming more from the intensity volume end. And, you know, there was a, there was a running joke uh, in the office that if I went into to Tim's office, somebody just needed to put the lunch order in because we were going to be in there for a few hours. I mean, I mean, you know, and it was productive for both of us. Um, because we, we had to come to an understanding and, and he definitely challenged me to look at things from a more traditional standpoint. And I think I, I'd like to think I challenged him to look at, look at it a little bit more from an energy systems and an output standpoint. Um, and we've, we've come up with a model that works pretty well. And the same thing um, when I was in Southern Connecticut, you know, I, I swam for Tim Quill and I, I sprinted, I swim, I swam the 50, the 100, 200, 2 IM and 100 fly, but I was in the distance lane. I, you know, it, if I was doing a yard uh, practice that was under 7,000 yards, it was definitely taper time. Um, and that was for a guy who did the 50 and the 100. So probably three or four years into my coaching career with Tim Quill at Southern, he handed me, we'll call them the sprinters. Um, you know, small division two school, no scholarships or very few scholarships. We didn't get thoroughbred sprinters. We got multi-sport athletes who swam high school, 
and were explosive. And then we taught them how to sprint at the division two level. And we had a decent amount of success. Um, so he kind of gave me that group. And, uh, and actually before I went back to Southern to coach, I was at Wesleyan university for a year, fresh out of college, had never coached collegiately. I'd done some coaching at upper mainline Y, um, you know, over the summers in college and Mary Bolick was the head coach there and same situation. She said, well, you sprinted in college. I said, well, okay. Yeah, I did swim the sprints. You're right. Um, and she handed me the sprinters and the breaststrokers and said, go for it. So I I've been fortunate that the head coaches, you know, ha had a concept, but also had enough faith and trust in me to say, well, we're going to let you do this. We're going to, you know, give you some parameters and some, some free reign. Um, and it's just, it's been one giant learning experiment since then. So we're going on collegiately. Yeah, this is year 15, started in 2006 collegiately. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe not as young as we look, but. We started, we started coaching college swimming the same year, 2006, yeah. my, my first year coaching at, at St. Lawrence University. Um, okay. and, Bar and Barnes was still kicking on <laughs> college, man. Yeah, um, no, Bar yeah, and Steve Barnes is another one, man. He, he, you know, comes from that background of a little bit more volume. He was a distance swimmer. Uh, he's our associate head coach now, and he's got our mid group and our mid stroke group. And, 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 and he's, he's taken a lot of the power and the speed and, and, and just kind of looked at it again, kind of holistically and, and our distance group and our mid group, Josh, Josh uh, Graham and Priscilla Barletta, that same thing and again with COVID, we don't have the time to do 15, 16,000 yards in a day. It just doesn't work out. So they're coming in, we're all coming in. Power has become a big part of what we're doing. Race intensity, race intervals. It's not USRPT, but I, you know, I, I think that had a lot of, I think that opened a lot of conversation for a lot of people. Obviously, Michael Andrew, you know, people could look at it and say, well, he's different than everybody else. Of course, it works for him. But I think it, it opened up enough of a conversation within the sport um, and people sprinkled it in even high, you know, ultra distance programs, if you want to call them that said, oh, well, we'll throw in a USRPT day here or there, which goes back to the holistic part, right? I mean, with social media, everybody hears about everything. Swim, swim, everybody hears about everything. So even if you are someone who historically has been a yardage volume coach or swimmer, you kind of want to try it out. Okay. Yeah. You know, for today, for fun, we're going to try this USRPT set. Um, but there's a lot of value and merit to the idea of race pace training. I mean, John T. Skinner talks all the time about neurological, you, you know, you've got to train the neurological system and that goes back to keeping the head attached. Well, the neurological system starts in your head with your brain. If you want to create neural pathways that fire at a certain speed, for a repeated amount of efforts, you've got to train them. You can't ignore them. No doubt about it. And, and there's so much happening on that front right now in our sport. And it's such an interesting thread to pull on a little bit. And, you know, traditionally we've been a higher volume program and we're starting to incorporate a little bit more of that speed and power. Matt, one thing that comes to mind when we think about a holistic approach is the relationships that you create with the athletes on your team. So in, in, in light of that, what are some things that you do on the pool deck uh, at your typical practice that help develop those relationships and, and let the athletes know that, you know, you care about them on a bigger level than just the, as one of the swimmers on your team? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and this is something that has always been a part of my life in sport. I was fortunate when I did swim at Upper Mainline YMCA. Uh, Glenn Newfeld was the head coach there. He's now the head coach at Mercersburg Academy. And, you know, it, I was not the best. I was not the best athlete in that I was not the one every coach dreams of working with. I came to practice sometimes um, and I, I got faster. And I, you know, I, again, even in high school, I started late. So I swam the 50 and the 100 and you know, I could be convinced to do a 200, but I learned to swim butterfly because I didn't want to swim the 200. So I was not a coach's dream, but because of that, and because of the timing with Glenn coming into the program towards, you know, the, the developmental years of my time at only, I learned that having faith and trust in a coach and having that open space to communicate was paramount to any amount of training. Um, and I still stay in touch with him. I mean, you know, he and I probably talk once a week. So, so I learned at a young enough age that if you give the space to communicate and to care, you can, we can do hard things, right? He's the only coach who ever convinced me to swim a 200 freestyle because he told me, you know, we had an honest conversation about it. And I actually, oddly enough, or not oddly enough, but interestingly enough, the 200 freestyle actually became my best event um, in college. Anyway, don't tell Tim Quill I said that. Um, but so what do we do? I, you know, it's not just what I do. I think programmatically here in State College, um, we've spent a lot of time over the last few years really focusing in on what can we do to make the time at the pool a productive experience for the athletes, uh, not just a place where they have to come grind and it's cold and, you know, then you leave. So we've had a book club uh, for a couple of years now, and we've, you know, we've read a, some, some good books. We've read Legacy, which is a book about the New England All Blacks or the uh, New Zealand All Blacks rather, We've read The Inner Game of Tennis. Uh, we've read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. We watched the Last Dance documentary about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. So all of that has allowed us to develop a common language and a common understanding. Um, and we build a lot of those conversations from there. And it's, it's, again, it's programmatic. It's not just the work I do with the sprinters, Josh and Priscilla with mid and distance and Steve with uh, the stroke swimmers. So you know, we've added yoga in this year. I think that that's not a conversation piece, but that's just a, Hey, you know what? We're going to take these 10 or 15 minutes because we know that coming from class or coming from lift, you guys need this 10 minutes of essentially quiet, just kind of breathe and, and decompress and come into the moment instead of, Hey, you're here, hurry up and get in the pool. Um, outside of that, uh, specifically with the sprinters, we have uh, Wednesdays, our Wednesdays or Thursdays are sharing circle days. So we'll, we'll sit down and we'll take 15 minutes. Sometimes it's longer if they can get me talking, uh, which is not that hard to do. Um, we'll sit down and just talk about what's going on and just give them that space to decompress. Um, you know, we, so Steve Barnes and I share an office. We have a couch that sits between our desks. And again, pre-COVID, our doors are always open. That couch is always open. Um, we kept coloring books in the office because more often than not, especially when the women would come in to talk, they wanted to sit in color. Um, just, you know, so, so again, it's just giving them the space and letting them know that we do care. Um, 
when we, well, probably just before Christmas break, uh, we got a decent snowstorm here and we, you know, we shut the pool down for a day and I invited the team over to my house to have a snowball fight. And, you know, not all of them came over, but again, just like, it's supposed to be fun, right? So just a day, a way to connect that was outside of the pool, get them out of their houses. Um, I didn't put anybody in jeopardy, moms and dads. Don't worry. The roads were plowed. I said, travel at your own risk. This was a safe experiment. So yeah, just, just again, just giving them room, giving us room to get to know them and, and them get to know us too. I think that's important, them getting to know us. For sure. I, I remember as a freshman at, at Rutgers, you know, my, my first year, uh, just really feeling overwhelmed, mm -hmm. you know, feeling overwhelmed and a lot of the pressure to perform. And back then, you know, Rutgers was in the Big East and we had this great team that Chuck Warner was doing a great job with. And I just remember really feeling a lot of academic pressure. And it, it's great to hear that you guys and your staff, and there's a lot of great names on that staff, are, are in tune enough to create these opportunities is that something that you planned for and had a strategy for preseason? This year, definitely. Um, again, we we started book club two two years ago, so pre-COVID, we started it, and it was really more just from hey, everybody's talking about culture, we talk about culture, let's start to build a common language around a a common theme, and that theme happened to be the book legacy. Uh, again, breaking down kind of the success of the New Zealand All Blacks. And we transitioned that through the, uh, the 2019 season. And we had a pretty successful season. Uh, we scored the, some the most points we've scored as a team on the swimming side at a Big Ten championship. Um, we, we broke some school records. We had uh, two women and five men qualify for NCAAs in last spring or what would have been NCAs. So we were building upon that momentum. Then obviously COVID hits and we kind of get scattered to the wind. Um, you know, always kind of thinking, well, maybe it'll be this week. Maybe it'll be this week. When are we coming back? Maybe it'll be next week. So in an effort to bring everybody together and control the controllables, and we're really, we're really fortunate here that we have an excellent sports psych department that works, uh, performance psychology that works with our team once a week. And so we got in touch with them and, uh, you know, and they said, Hey, why, you know, why don't you continue with book club? And so we, so we did. And just those meetings of getting together once a week or once every other week to discuss book book club. And then within our individual stroke discipline groups, getting together once a week or once every other week, just to check in to talk about everything other than swimming. I mean, we, you know, every once in a while we'd say do something swimming oriented, but by the end of the summer, it ended up being, so what'd you do today? Uh, what are you up to? Well, you know, how many loaves of banana bread have you made this week? Uh, you know, just little stuff like that. Again, just to, to reiterate, and it wasn't forced. It wasn't forced show them we care. We legitimately wanted to know. Like, you know, these people, these athletes become a part of our lives. They are literally an extension of our families. And just like you would check in on a, a mom or dad, a brother, sister, whoever, give them a call, put them on a Zoom call. Hey, what have you guys been up to? So, yeah, we knew coming into this year, we were going to have to be very deliberate more so than ever about the conversation outside of the pool, because if we didn't have that conversation and the athletes didn't feel supported and, and they didn't feel supported and get that sense of stress relief, 
there wasn't going to be any hope for anything going on in the pool. Um, which, which sounds kind of one-sided like, oh, well, the only reason they're doing this is so that they can train. And it's definitely the other way around. Um, even, even as we've been in the pool, the emphasis very much is this is your opportunity to come together, see your, your best friends, your teammates, and have it be a relief and a relief from your, from your day, from the inconsistency of everything else. You know, you come here and, you know, you, whether you train really well that day or not, this is an opportunity to be grateful for that. We all get to come together and hang out for a couple hours and the team has really embraced that. So we've, we were deliberate about it and we've been fortunate with the results of it. Well, you, you can tell, right? So if you look at Penn state and what you guys have done the last two or three years, there, there's a lot of momentum building up. And I think a lot of it has to do with the culture that's in place there. You, we, you know, I, I it was great to have a front row seat to see Allie do as well yep. as she has done the last couple of years. And in fact, when Allie and Michaela made the national team, they did it together yeah. in the same heat. And, and that was really cool. Um, and, and so we kind of feel like we share that with you guys. And then the other thing is you had a, a 200 freestyle relay this past year ago, 117. Yeah. I mean, so yep. you're, you're talking about some real high level swims over the course of this time. And so what are you doing to keep those athletes driving forward as we all navigate these different kind of times? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good question. Um, and, and it really does span the gamut. I mean, we had the two free relay, obviously Ali McHugh won a big 10 title, then an NCAA title and some USA swimming uh, awards along the way with us. Um, and then, you know, in the middle distance stroke events, we had Maddie Hart, and Marie Schobel break some, some school records and make NCAAs last year. So there are a lot of different people with a lot of different needs. I, it has definitely been a challenge to keep folks on track. I think one of the biggest things we're trying to do, again, is to make their time at the pool as stress-free as possible. Um, we're also, just like everybody, we've got micro and macro cycles. And to some degree, we've all thrown those out the window because who the heck knows? But as, as detailed as we can be, reassuring the athletes that there is a one-year, two-year, four-year plan and, and letting them understand that even as COVID ebbs and flows and travel ebbs and flows, the, the work can still be consistent and, and just having those conversations when they need them and having the personal conversations when they don't want to talk about training or they don't have the mental space in that moment or the emotional space really to talk about training. I mean, we, you know, we let the team go home. We all got to go home for um about 10 days at, at christmas and we and we were looking at it since april you know what are we going to do for the holidays can we afford to send people home should we keep them in state college we stayed for thanksgiving and we we sent them home for the christmas break or as close to home as they could get our international students went home with a friend uh some of you know in the in the u.s some of our canadian athletes were able to go home but you know, we have our first dual meet on the 16th. So this Saturday against Ohio state and historically you to ask any coach. I, oh yeah. I'm going to take 12 days off two weeks before our first meet. You're going to have head coaches with their heads spinning and then athlete heads are going to roll because the coaches are going to freak out. Um, so, so we don't know how we're going to race this weekend at Ohio state, but that doesn't really matter because in the grand scheme of things, 
our athletes are in a much better emotional state today than they would have been if we held them here in state college over the holidays. Um, we've reinforced with ourselves, with our families, with their families, with our school community, with our alumni, with, with the, the athletes and coaches that are looking at us as a program that we really do care about the athletes and, and it's about personal care more than it is about performance. Um, so that, that's a lot of it, just trying to give everybody what they need, or at the very least having the conversation of, are you good? You're not so good. You just want to get something off your chest. Um, and, and us kind of being that, that guiding force is the wrong word, but just letting them know that even when the world seems to be off track, we're still on track. Uh, it's such a great mentality, and it sounds like to me that you're, you're really trying to be aware of meeting the athletes in their space every day. So however they come to you, you're meeting them there and not necessarily forcing anything other than, hey, listen, you know, we're here yeah. if you need to talk. And I think um, for a long time in our sport, especially, it was get your suit on, <laughs> get your cap on, let's dive in. We got yeah. work to do, right? I mean, that's kind of how you and I grew up and maybe when we first started coaching, that started to shift a little bit. Um, and you got to work for a great coach in Mary Bullock, who, who, who really, I thought had, had a great way of connecting with her athletes and right out of Wesleyan, this unbelievable academic small school in Connecticut, she was having kids, you know, 15 minutes low back in the day, yep. division three. I mean, you know, just, just tremendous. And I think it speaks to that relationship part. And um, it's a great segue into my next question because you had an outstanding sprinter this year who kind of was making a breakout in the NCAA yeah. in Gabe. Coming out of high school, he was fast, but he wasn't 19-0. Right. So talk to us a little bit about the development of Gabe this past year. It's been fun to watch. Yeah, uh, it, it has been fun. I mean, it has not been or it hasn't been without its ups and downs, obviously. So yeah, so, so Gabe Castano is right now our, our fastest male sprinter, um, originally from Monterey, Mexico. His family moved here when he was in elementary school, so he's grown up in the Allentown area of uh, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour north of Philadelphia. And he was not a highly recruited athlete coming out of, out of high school. Um, as you mentioned, he was good, but he wasn't necessarily, necessarily elite. Uh, in Pennsylvania, we have two brackets for states for swimming. We have AAA, which is the bigger schools and probably the more sought after in terms of results and recruiting. And then we have AA, which is the smaller schools. And Gabe went to a small high school. So, again, kind of flew under the radar a little bit. And he was, you know, he was, he was solid. He 20 point mid, 44 high, his senior year at States. Um, no real experience in the 200 freestyle. Didn't do, didn't really do, still doesn't really do a 100 stroke event, although his 100, 100 butterfly could be pretty decent. Um, and no real long course experience to speak of. He was actually a competitive cyclist growing up. Um, that, that was his thing. Um, yeah, not, not velodrome cycling, but like, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. It's not cross country cycling, but outdoor cycling, cross trek cycling, basically. Um, so that was his, that was his thing. So he was in shape. He was an athlete. Um, and when he came in, I mean, his freshman year was a lot of growing pains, both for him and for me. He had, you know, a uh, big fish in a small pond coming from a smaller team, had had a tremendous acceleration from the time he started swimming fairly competitively in high school 
to winning a state title as a senior. And he had an opinion of the way he wanted things to be done or the way he thought things needed to be done. And he still does. And to be honest, that, that willingness to stand up for himself is largely what makes him an elite competitor in the 50 freestyle because he'll stand behind the blocks and he knows he belongs there. So that's, that's a piece of it. So, you know, everybody wants to train sprinters cause it's so fun. Um, and there are definitely times where it's fun, but there are definitely times where you're going to have some, some emotional conversations. So that I want to pick at that, Matt. I want to, I want to, I want to tear that thread a little bit because you know, you're explaining a lot of the frustrations, right? That a lot of us coaches have when you have an athlete who has supreme self-confidence mm -hmm. that can manifest itself in ways that seem adversarial right. when in actuality, it's a strength for that athlete in terms of the way yes. that they compete. And you just, you just recognize that. And that's a really important distinction, I think, for coaches to understand. So talk about how, you know, your growth as a coach allowed you to recognize that part of it instead of maybe yeah, tearing it down. Um, part of it was because I saw a lot of myself in him, number one. Uh, two, I had had some experience previously with an athlete name was connor davis uh out of connecticut is a he's like six foot seven or six as a 14 year old swam for me at sunoco swim club um was a junior national qualifier in the 50 free and could put together a decent 100 free he went on to swim at the naval academy but he, you know connor was another one very strong strong-willed um knew what he wanted and when he stood behind the blocks in certain circumstances he was fearless and he knew he belonged there. And same with Gabe. Um, so I'd had a little bit of experience recognizing it. I think the, uh, so that his, Gabe's freshman year, the big challenge for both of us was keeping our egos in check in the moment. I think retrospectively, it was both, it was easy for both of us to, after having had a conversation, be reflective and say, hmm, I probably could have done a better job in that situation. So going into conversations, almost to the point where we had to preface it of, Gabe, you want to get better. Matt, I want to get better. You know, I want to help you get better. Matt, I know you want me to, want to help me get better. And understanding that that's where the conversation was coming from. Um, so there was definitely some back and forth between the two of us that first year. But, but you, know, well, you know, here we are now four years into this. Um, and he's still, he's still bullheaded and opinionated, but you're right. But that is, that is a piece of it. So, so my challenge with Gabe and we've got some, well, I'll get to that in a minute. My challenge with him was helping him. Like you're saying, take that asset and not throw it away. Don't lock it in the vault, but learn how and when to use it. Um, and we've gotten to the point now. And again, this is with some help from our sports psychology department. You know, he works with them pretty, pretty intensely that during a workout, during the week, it's not the time to flex your sprinter ego muscle. It's a time to train. It's a time to listen. It's a time to adapt. After the workout, you want to, you want to yell, you want to ask questions. Let's do it. Um, but save that, put that in the bank for when you stand behind the blocks at big tens or at Pan Am's you know, that he did in, in 2019, or, you know, hopefully behind, you know, behind the blocks in Tokyo this summer. Um, that's the goal, you know, and, and 
and learning how to take that. And, and a couple of months ago, I, I came across a podcast with Mel Marshall, Adam Petey's coach. And, and she, and I shared this with Gabe and, and Mel talked about how as a young man, cause she's been with Adam since he was what, 11, 12 years old. I believe that Adam um, had a, has a temper and, and he had to learn how to use it. And one of Mel's challenges was teaching Adam that, you know, he's got that lion tattoo, unleash the lion behind the blocks. Don't unleash the lion on grandma waiting in line at, at the grocery store. And that's the similar conversation that, that Gabe and I have had. And, and part of what has also helped Gabe's development, similarly to, you know, the way Allie McHugh developed here. When we, when we recruited Allie McHugh, we recruited Allie as a 100-200 breaststroker and a 200 IMer. Um, in the middle of her freshman year, um, we were doing a, and that's, I coached distance that year, distance and mid-distance. Doak Finch and I coached the distance and middle distance group. So in the middle of Allie's freshman year, we were just doing an aerobic training set on, on a given day. And we had some pretty good 500 freestylers and milers in the group at, at the time. Caitlin Sawinski at an Eagle Swim Club uh, in the Maryland area. K uh, Casey Francis from uh, Pinecrest down in Florida. You know, both 16-minute milers, 440s, 500 freestylers. And Allie is keeping up with them. And then Allie's beating them. And they're breathing hard. And Allie's just cruising. So probably halfway through her freshman year, we decided – maybe we should give Allie a whirl in the five and the mile and you know, the rest is history, but like Allie and like Gabe, they have teammates to keep them in check. So Allie started off working with Caitlin and with Casey. Um, and, you know, she, she had some other people along the way to, to keep her in check and, and help her train and, and develop Gabe. He's definitely our fastest. We've got another guy, Will Roberson out of Texas, um, out of Katie aquatic club. Will was a walk-on. We didn't even recruit Will. He, he, he's an engineering kid. Um, parents are engineers. So he was coming to Penn State anyway because our engineering program is, is top notch. So he's, he'll tell you he's six feet. He's about 5'11". Uh, when he showed up, he was maybe 140 pounds. But, but long course, he was 21 low. Or sorry, 21 low. He was uh, like 24 low and 51 on a relay freestyle short short course he was okay he was he was 21 low and 46 two um but a lot of that was 511 and 140 pounds so so will shows up he's the same year as gabe will shows up and he's trying to get on the team so we're like all right we'll give you a tryout you know see, see if you can make the program you're already here might as well try it out so we're coming to the end of will's uh will's tryout and it was on a saturday morning I gave the group three 100s, kick with the board, 10 seconds rest, see how fast you can go. He goes 59 minute 58. So he does that. I checked my watch two or three times to make sure I'm right. And uh, Tim was on the deck with me at the time. And I turned to Tim. I said, Tim, I think we're going to keep Will. Um, and so the two of them have become, you know, my, my two-headed sprinting monster um, so Gabe, so Gabe was 19.0 last year and Will was 19.4. And then we had a handful of guys at 20 point. And yeah, that relay was awesome. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we had to go to Princeton to a last chance meet 
because as good, and this is something we're working on, right? As, as good as we've been, or the amount of development we've had, we're still not automatic. You know, a lot of, a lot of the folks we get here at Penn State are not the blue chip recruits. Um, we have an older facility and that scares a lot of people away. They think they need the brand new shining auditorium. And believe me, if we had one, I would love it just as much as the next person. Um, so for that reason, development has kind of been the name of our game. So on that relay, you had Gabe, you had Will. We had a guy, Austin Wilson, who we recruited from the Pittsburgh area, uh, Grove City YMCA, super tiny YMCA. And he was decent senior team captain, like all American boy. You know, if, if you could pick a, a boyfriend for your daughters or my daughter, Austin would be that guy. And this is a guy who for four years busted his tail, did everything we asked, never scored a point at Big Tens, and then senior year makes it back to Big Tens individually and then earns his spot on that two free relay that makes NCAs. And then the fourth guy was this guy, uh, Julius Kosznewski, who we recruited from Poland. And he was a very good junior swimmer in Poland. And then just some of the aches and pains, ebbs and flows of an international student coming to the U.S. I mean, you talk about the transition for you going to Rutgers. This young man comes all the way over from Poland to the United States, has to learn English, has to, you know, he's a nuclear engineering student. So, so the, anyway, the point of my rambling there is that these guys developed and we went from, I think my first year, our two free relay, maybe was 120, maybe nine, 119.7. So we go 117. I think if we had been able to go to NCAAs, we're a 116 relay um, because we're still developing. They're not automatic yet. There's just some of those little finite details that we need to continue to remember that, uh, you know, in terms of habits, we need to standardize some more things before we can optimize them. Um, and, and Ooh, I like well, that, I, I can't take complete credit for that. That's a, uh, that's a James Clear quote from Atomic Habits, which if you folks out there haven't read that yet, that's a good read. Um, but, you know, when you've got such rates of development, sometimes getting them to remember to standardize something uh, can, can be a challenge. And that's where we come in place. And that's, and to go back to Allie, that's something Allie did extremely well. Um, you know, Allie uh, was with Doak Finch and myself the first year and a half. And then Doak went down to Duke. Eric Posgay came in from North Baltimore. And then Eric took over on the distance side and I moved over to Sprint. Um, and, and Eric being a disciple of Bob Bowman was very much standard operating procedure. Like, you know, this is the way you do it every single time. And Allie's an elite miler. She's an elite 500 freestyler, 800 freestyler, 400 IMer. You know, if you, if you want to be good at those events, I mean, look at Allie's splits for, for a mile. They're, the hundreds are within hundreds. Pretty impressive, right? And, and when we think about kind of her breakout swim, uh, you know, being able to see that last 100 live and in person in the 400 yep. IM, uh, she goes 434 out of nowhere. Yep. Uh, a pretty, pretty tremendous back half. Um, yeah. And, and I remember that race very well, believe me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I, I've been really impressed with some of the development that's happened there in the last couple of years. And, you know, you guys have been so fortunate to have some really great names uh, on your staff and 
one of the things, Matt, that's a challenge for us uh, as coaches at any level is when you start to see big improvement, how do you get them to continue to believe that there's more out there, right? So, you know, you have Gabe come in, he's 20.6 out of high school, and now he's 19 flat. Yep. You know, you, you, you have some of these kids come in, um, you, you know, your other kids 21.6, and then he goes 19.7. I mean, those are huge chunks in an event that takes less than 20 seconds. So yeah. how do you get these guys to continue to improve and believe in the process? Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely a challenge. I, I think part of it is, uh, well, it's a few things. And, and this is what we've been working on recently is, and, and again, I'm, I'm borrowing here from, from James Clear and Atomic Habits, is a lot of times, and this is not just sport, but humanity, we look at a goal that we want, whether it's personal growth, financial relationship, whatever it is, we look at a goal, we identify it. And then based on that goal, we say, okay, if I want to lose 20 pounds, I need to do A, B, C. And then at the end of that, I'm going to be in better shape. Well, the challenge with that is those, process, those procedural steps, A, B, and C, don't necessarily align with who you fundamentally are, what you believe in, what you're about, um, you know, what your morals are, what your values are. So it's very easy to get off track. So what we've done, and that's the same in sports. So what we've done is we've kind of, we've flipped that script and we've started with the, the, the individual statement, the I am statements, like who are you fundamentally? What are we fundamentally about? And that's a lot of what we did with the book club as it pertains to the program. But now we're asking the athletes to be introspective and say, okay, as a competitor, who are you? What are you? And then based on that, we try to get them to assess some, some, some minor changes that they know will benefit them. Because to get to this level, they've all sacrificed something. They've made adjustments. You know, they don't live the, the, the life of a normal student. Um, and they've done some things very well. So what we're now asking them to do is, okay, you've done all these things well, and you've gotten to this level, whatever whatever level that is for each athlete, what, is, what are one or two things now that you can, you can add on to that stack, you can have it stack to, to make the next step? So for, I'll use Gabe as an example. So for Gabe, the, the objective here is to make Tokyo, to make the Olympic team. Now he, two years ago, 2019, he was a, uh, he went 20.2 in the 50 long course freestyles. The fastest man in Mexico broke the record, uh, the Mexican national record. And that was his best time. Well, going into that season, his best time was 23-2 long course. And then he went 22-2 10 months later. And then last year, we didn't get a long course season because uh, of COVID. So everything in the last year and a half, two years, has been predicated upon what does an Olympian do? Are your habits in line with an Olympian? Because fundamentally, yeah, man, you've got the ability to be a 21 something 50 freestyler. So what do we need to tweak? What do we need to adjust? And that's, that's the conversation across the board. Um, and that helps so that, you know, that's part of the step. The other part of the step too is reminding them that this is supposed to be fun. Like we try to have fun in practice every day. It's definitely interesting. Um, when, 
so like I I've been off the deck for a week now. I, I had a positive COVID test. My health is fine. Uh, I've been fortunate, but because, you know, keeping everybody safe, I haven't been on the pool deck. So the other coaches have been uh, pinch hitting for me. And it's, it's always interesting to see their feedback on sprint practice. Cause like we, like, like we talked about at the, at the top, sprinters are a different breed of animal. Like they, they very much are. And you get a bunch of them together in a room or in a pool. It, it's, it's, it's just, I mean, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of energy and it's a lot, uh, it's like a little puppy, right? It's like, it's like a room full of puppies. They just want to keep going around and, around and, around and, around. and, and having other coaches who are not accustomed to that energy level all the time. It's like dropping the kids off at grandma's house and you come back two hours later and grandma's asleep on the couch and the kids are like, so what do we do next? Um, so, so it, it's been fun, but, but giving them the space, giving the sprinters the space to, to be puppies, to run around and have fun and go chase the ball. And let's do it again. Let's do it again. Um, and then the last thing I've done, I should say I've done, <laughs> we've done is, so a lot of other schools use different names for their groups because, well, a variety of reasons, but you know, if you say distance, that means something to a lot of people. If you say sprint, that means something to a lot of people. Some of it's positive, some of it's not so positive. So, you know, whether it's using colors or fruits or random words to describe your groups, um, our sprint group, because I, I do think sprint is a dirty word um, for, for, for all the obvious reasons, we, we've branded ourselves the snake farm. And the reason is, is we have a tremendous relationship with our strength and conditioning coach, Matt Dorn, um, came to us from, he, so he played baseball at Ithaca College. He was up at uh, Rochester as the strength and conditioning coach up there, small D, well, smallish D3 school. And, you know, he was in charge of 22 athletic teams, I think 23, something like that. Um, he came in and interviewed and he was impressive, like knew his stuff, knew the physiology, answered all the questions we had. So he's been with us now for five years. Um, and he and I have developed a really good relationship. So anyway, so we're, we're called the snake farm because I want to say three years ago, every morning and we lift sprinters lift first thing. So 6am Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, We'd walk in and he would start every practice with this song, Snake Farm, um, by, I think it's called Ray Lee Hubbard, I think it's called. Anyway, look it up, Snake Farm. And so it just became, that season, it just became our, like our group anthem. We knew every morning we're going to go down and lift and listen to Snake Farm. And it's not a particularly good song, but it's catchy. Um, so the, the name kind of evolved. And as we were looking for ways to define ourselves and brand ourselves and talk about who we really are and what we're really about, um, there's a line in the song and it says the snake farm just sounds nasty snake farm. Yep. It pretty much is. And like that, that was it, that it, it stuck. Um, so I, you know, they have developed this identity as the snakes, because it's just, I don't like the word sprint. I don't like the connotation of sprinters. Um, so we've got, we've got a snake farm. 
I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> and uh, th this has been so fun. And we've reached the quick fire round with Matt Hurst. So. Oh, boy. All right. All right. Well, I'll see if I can get you here. Most intimidating coach on the pool deck, Tim Murphy, Bill Ball, Tim Quill. Uh, wow. Good one. Uh, I'm going to go Bill Ball because B Bill, listen, Bill, I hope you listen to this, buddy. I miss you. I love you. Um, Bill and I had some really good trips together because whenever we travel to Sonoka, more often than not, uh, once I started working with those guys, it was, it was Bill and me because uh, Tim Quill had some younger kids at home at the, or his twins were younger at the time. So Bill and I traveled a lot. So Bill and I have had, we've had some good times, but Bill doesn't say a lot all the time, but when he does, people listen. Uh, and when Bill gets fired up, people definitely listen. So I'm going to go Bill Ball, snake in the grass, Bill Ball. <laughs> yeah, see, not a lot of people know who, well, our age they might, but Tim Murphy, he can box. Yeah, now if you ask me who do I want on my side in a street fight, <laughs> hands down, Tim Murphy. Um, yeah, for, again, for those who have not, who have been under a rock, I guess, if you don't know who Tim Murphy is, if you're ever to meet, he looks like he's going to fight you. Uh, <laughs> but he is one of the gentlest, kindest, most, you talk about relationships, he is Mr. Relationship. You know, he's got a gruff exterior. He's definitely got a gruff voice. Um, he'd probably kill me if he heard this. But, like, in terms of people who actually ca who care, he he's one of the best. And that's why he's had such a great career. Um, and that's why we've had a lot of the success we've had in State College because, you know, he cares for us. We care for him. All the athletes know. You know, we have a thing here called Tim Time. Um, in his last couple of years, or these last couple of years, he has allowed, again, the assistance, uh, the, the autonomy to run our own groups. And he bounces around and helps from group to group. And he'll, he'll pull people or ask us, hey, is there someone you need, need me to work with on a given day? Because he's really, really good in those one-on-one -on -one situations in that teaching mode. That's his background, his teaching. Yep. Um, so the athletes jokingly, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, Tim time. But secretly, they love it, and so does he. Um, he'll, you know, so he'll take people and do little individual Tim time sessions with him. So yeah, he's one of the greats. If you haven't met him, make sure you do. Oh, no doubt. And, and always good to, to young coaches when I had questions as a kid. Yes. Um, last question. Does it take a sub 21 second performance in Tokyo to win the men's 50 freestyle? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, there's a lot of debate on coaches corner about this it's about 50, 50 right now. Uh, no, Brett Hawk, I, I was yes. talking to him last night and Brett Hawk told me it's going to be 21 low, but there are, there are people on your side too. So yeah, Matt, I, I'll, I'll respectfully disagree with coach Hawk. Um, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I, I've never met him. I mean, he and I have corresponded a couple of times on, on Instagram and whatnot. Um, and, and talk about coming up in the sport. I, I was coming up and through when he was uh, working with Cesar Cielo. I was I, talking about being in the stands. I was in the stands in 2009 at Worlds. I went with the Dominican Republic Federation as an assistant coach uh, when Cesar won the 53. I've actually still got a picture on my phone of Brett and Cesar hugging after that race and the, the race on my phone. So, um, yeah, Coach, I, I disagree with you, buddy. But uh, <laughs> we can hash that out on your podcast. Give me a call. <laughs> For sure. Matt, thanks so much. All the best to you and everybody at Penn State. We're going to have this recording available for everybody on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, thanks so much for being on the Fitter and Faster Coaches uh, program. We appreciate it.
Yeah, absolutely, Mike. This is a great opportunity. Thank you, and, and best to you and your family. Appreciate it, man. Make sure you tell Steve Barnes uh, I want a rematch, but we're going to go 50. Will do. I will let him know. All right. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Hey, you got it. Bye.